Let's open our Bibles to two places, Hebrews chapter 11 and also Genesis chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 4. We want to read in Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 4. This is a chapter of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That means a ground or confidence of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. God made the worlds out of nothing, and God made the worlds himself. And you know we have a lot of theories and ideas nowadays, but we won't go into that, because verse 4 is our text. (laughs) It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. Now it says, by faith Abel. Now look at verse 5. By faith Enoch. Down in verse 8. I mean 7. By faith Noah. Down in verse 8. By faith Abraham. And we could go on and on. So we decided to try to bring a series of messages on these individuals, beginning this morning with Abel. With verse 4. So it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. That's our main text. But turn back to Genesis chapter 4, if you will, and we'll read the record of what really happened. Genesis 4, verse 1 through 7. It says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived... And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, there was a time set to do this, that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And he brought it into a place, of course, that God had designated. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If you'll offer the right sacrifice, if you'll do what Abel has done, You'll be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now then, I want to go back to Hebrews 11.4, and we'll just talk about what we've read in both passages of Scripture. Notice it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. This verse describes the beginning of the life of faith. And as we weigh it attentively, we can see first it was by faith that Abel offered unto God his sacrifice. And that he is the first man, according to the Scriptures, who ever did so. He is the first man that ever offered a sacrifice by faith. He had no established uh, precedent to follow. He had no example to emulate. He had no outward encouragement to stimulate. His conduct was not suggested by popular custom. He didn't do this because it was a custom to do it. Nor was his action regulated by common sense. Common sense would not tell you to slay a sheep or an animal and offer the fat thereof. Whereas Cain went out and he 
presented unto God the fruit of the ground, some things that he had raised, a crop he had raised. We don't know what all those things were. But he had no, uh, it was not regulated by common sense. Common sense wouldn't tell you to do this. Neither carnal reason nor personal inclinations could have moved Abel to present a bleeding lamb for God's acceptance. So then how is it that this strange procedure is to be accounted for? Our text says it was by faith that he acted, and not by, he did not act by fancy or by a reason or by feelings. He acted by faith. By faith. But what is it, the significance of this expression? The mere words faith are far more familiar to many than their real import is to many of us. The one scripture that perhaps unlocks the meaning of faith in the New Testament, that's found so often here in Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, time and time again. But the one scripture that unlocks it is Romans 10:17, where we read that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So faith must have a foundation to rest upon. Someone says, I want the Lord to give me more faith. Where are you going to get faith? Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith has a solid foundation. God makes a promise and a, and a command to follow, and we accept that promise, we obey that command, we act upon that Word by faith, and then God answers. In fact, if we, we didn't read on down, but in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And we cannot please God without faith. So, God works through faith, and faith alone, and exercising faith is the only way to please Him and to receive His blessing. God works through faith, and He wants us to exercise that faith. Believe. Trust. Take Him at His word. Believe what He has said. So, we find that uh, found that, that, that foundation rests upon the word of him who cannot lie. When God speaks and the heart receives and acts upon what he says, then we find that the results are there. There are two kinds of hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Just as there are two kinds of faith. There's an outward hearing and there's an inward hearing. The one outward hearing, like you're hearing now, merely informs. But the other influences. If the Holy Spirit brings it to your heart, the one is simple instruction to the mind, and the other molds the heart and moves it to moves the will to obey God and to accept it. So there's a twofold meaning to the Word of God. The Word of God is written and the Word of God is operative. When God speaks in living power to the soul, well then we find that that, that is the operative side of that Word that is written that we have received by faith. And since we know that to be true, there's a twofold faith. The one which is merely an intellectual accent uh, ascending to what God has revealed, and then we have that which is a vital and supernatural principle of action, which Paul says in uh, Galatians 5, 6, faith that worketh by love. It does something to us to respond. Now, we need to hardly say that this second sense is in the view here, that God moved upon uh, Abel to act by faith and throughout the chapter. And it was by faith that Abel offered this acceptable sacrifice. As we find in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, declares that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God had definitely revealed his will and Abel believed that revelation and he acted accordingly. Now, in Old Testament times, God spake sometimes directly to men and sometimes through others. In fact, the very beginning of the book of Hebrews the first chapter and the first verse says, God who is sundry at times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, says he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. 
In this instance, we believe the reference is to what God had said when, as far as Cain and Abel is concerned, and how Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, we believe that the reference is to what God had said to Cain and Abel both through Adam and Eve. What he said to Adam and Eve, and they communicated this information to Cain and Abel. And you can turn back to Genesis chapter 3, and you'll find that uh, what God said uh, to, to uh, Adam and to Eve, and how he instructed them. And further, you know, after... Adam had sinned and Eve had sinned, we find that uh, they had clothed themselves with fig leaves. And God said, that won't do. So it says in verse 21 of the third chapter, Unto Adam and also his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And I believe that God communicated to Adam and Eve some information about why he was doing that, making them coats of skins. And all of it, here the Lord spoke to Adam and Eve by action. And four things were clearly intimated. First, that in order for a sinner to stand before a thrice holy God, he needed a covering. The only way that he could stand. They knew that they were naked. They didn't know that before they had sinned. And they put these fig leaves on to try to... This is symbolical of self-righteousness. And that wouldn't do. And so uh, they knew they needed a covering. God showed them that they needed a covering. And God provided that covering. He made the coats of skins and clothed them. And second, that which was of human manufacture, what they made was worthless. They could see that this would not do because God had resisted that. This won't do. And third, that God Himself must provide this covering. That God had to provide it. Man could not provide it. I'm thankful that God provided that covering for you and I with the uh, shed blood of Jesus Christ and with the robe of righteousness that He's told us that we can have through that uh, faith in Him, in Christ's sacrifice. Fourth, the necessary covering could only be obtained by death or by blood shedding. We have the record of it. And in those verses that we pointed out, Genesis 3.15 and verse 21, we have the first gospel sermon which was ever preached on this earth. And that by the Lord Himself. That life must come out of death. Cain and Abel and the whole human race had sinned. Because since Adam had sinned. They were sinners as well as Adam. Romans 5.12 says, For by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. For that all have sinned. All have sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. There had to be death. Either I must be paid those wages and suffer that death, or another has to do it for my sake and in, as a substitute for me. An innocent one on whom death had no claim. That's why one man that's a sinner couldn't die for the sins of the world. It had to take that one man, Jesus Christ, who was sinless, came down from heaven. And it must be paid by another, but... It had to be paid by another who, on whom death had no claim. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christ took upon Himself human nature. And He was God manifest in the flesh so that He could pay the wages of sin. He paid this, these wages must be paid in my stead, my place. In order to receive the benefit of that substitute's compassion, there must be a link of contact between me and Him. 
And faith it is which unites us to Christ. Saving faith, then, is the, in the simplest form, is the placing of a substitute between my guilty self and a sin-hating God. Remember, God's anger was kindled against Cain because he had no substitutes to stand between. He would brought the wrong kind of offering. And God says, if you'll do well, if you'll bring the right kind of offering, well, everything will be okay. But he refused to do that, and he didn't do it. Now, what we've just gone over was made known probably through Adam to Cain and Abel. You might say, well, how do we know that this was made known to them? Because as we've seen, Abel brought his offering to God by faith. And Romans 10 verse 17 makes it clear that faith presupposes a divine revelation. So however he received the message, he knew that God would accept it, that God had agreed that this is what he was to do, that God had promised forgiveness on this basis, and he brought the right kind of offering. It presupposes divine revelation, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And further confirmation of this is found in Genesis 4-7. If you look at 4-7, it says, If thou doest well, when he speaks to Cain... If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted or have the excellency? But evidently he did not choose to do well. And so when Cain's countenance fell at the rejection of his offering, God had said this, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? But he says, If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And because of this, a divine institution of sacrifice is clearly defined and made known. It's here plainly implied. It was as though God had said to Cain, Did, not, did I promise to accept any other offering than that which uh, conformed to what I prescribed? God is ne- You know, anything that God has not prescribed is will worship. It, it takes on the form of what I think God would be pleased with. And he has not prescribed that. Brother, we have plenty of it in the world today. Do we not? And it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, three things here claim our attention. The spring of Abel's action. The nature of his offering, wherein it was more excellent. The first of it we've already examined, considered. And now we'll talk about the second. The language of our present verse refers back to Genesis 4. And there we read, And Abel, he also brought of the firstling of his flocks, and the fat thereof. His action here brought in sharp contrast to his parents. You know, his parents hid themselves, didn't they? But Abel brought the sacrifice. Remember when Adam and Eve had sinned, the Bible says they hid themselves amongst the trees of the garden. God had to call unto them. They were running away from God and hiding from God. The Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked. I didn't have the covering. Even though he provided one for himself, he knew it wasn't any good. Isn't that something? Isn't it amazing how that when we provide a covering for ourselves, we know it's insufficient? He said, I was naked. Even with your fig leaves, Adam, Eve, you were still that way? Well, that's right. And they knew it. And I was afraid. I hid myself. He said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? 
Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee, thou shalt not eat? And we find the excuses that he begins to make and blames the woman. The woman blames the devil. And God gets to the root of the matter and he starts with the devil and he says, you're cursed first. <laughs> he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. So anyway, we find that here the action of Abel was different. He came with his offering. He was admitting that he needed this. The contrast is most significant. A consciousness of guilt caused Adam and Eve to flee. And a sense of need moved Abel to seek the Lord. A sense of need. We need to turn and seek the Lord because we need to do that. The difference between them is attributed to the respective workings of the conscience and of faith. An uneasy conscience never of itself leads to Christ. If you have an uneasy conscience, that doesn't mean you're going to be brought to Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 9, when Jesus was talking to the people about condemning this particular woman, it says, They which heard it, they which heard, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, and Jesus was left alone. I mean, when your conscience smites you, you're in trouble. You better turn to God. That's the time to turn. But Abel, he brought her the firstling of his flock and the fat thereof. The separation mentioned here of the fat tells us that the lamb had been slain. And by killing the lamb and offering it to God, Abel acknowledged at least five things. Let me give you five things that he acknowledged. He killed this lamb. He offered it to God. He did it by faith. First, he owned that God was righteous in driving fallen man out of Eden. Remember the last verse of the third chapter. He drove the man out. Of Eden. And he was admitting that God was righteous in judging man because of his sin. He owned that God was righteous. And the second thing, he owned that he was a guilty sinner and that death was his just due, that he deserved the death that uh, he was passing on to this victim. And thirdly, he owned that God was holy and must punish sin. God cannot overlook it. Forget about it. You know, people say, well, God can do everything. God can do everything, but He doesn't do it against His principles and against His nature. And God is a God of love, and God is a God of wrath. And God hates sin. And He recognized that sin must be punished. And that God was holy. The Bible says that He's of pure eyes and to behold iniquity. Cannot look upon evil with favor at all, but it must be punished. And fourth, he owned that God was merciful and willing to accept the death of an innocent substitute in his place. Aren't you glad today that God is merciful to us and accepts the death of his only begotten son for you and I and gives us salvation and righteousness? That's the only way it can come. And fifth, he owned that he looked for acceptance with God in Christ the Lamb. Therefore, did he by faith place the blood of the firstling of his flock? And by the way, that's a type of Christ who is the firstborn, the head of every creature, Colossians 1.15. He placed that sacrifice, that firstling, between his sins and the avenging justice of God. He put that right between them. Between, between you and I, and, and between God, between you and God, between myself and God, there stands what? That firstly, it was offered. 
and that stands the person of Christ who died on the cross, the Lamb of God, that stands in between. Here then is where the life of faith begins. There must be first a bowing unto the religious, uh, to the righteous verdict of divine, the divine judge that I'm a sinner. You must realize God is righteous, His verdict is righteous, that He's the divine judge, that you're a sinner, and you're a transgressor of His holy law. And therefore, you're justly under His curse, or under His death sentence. And by the way, no excuses have I to offer, and no merits have I to plead. I can't offer any excuses. I can't plead any merits. I don't have any merits to plead. No mitigation of the sentence can I uh, fairly ask for. And my best performance, according to the Bible, is only as filthy rags in His sight. The very best I can do. The Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. And we do all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. In the sight of Him who knows that They were wrought out of self-love and to promote self-interest. That's our righteousnesses, rather than for His glory. And I can but plead guilty and hide my face for very shame. But as the gospel of His grace is applied to my stricken conscience, by the power of the Holy Spirit, hope revives. And He makes known to me the amazing fact that the Lamb of God died so that all who bow to God's verdict own themselves as lost, and hate themselves for their sins, that they might live. And then faith stretches forth a trembling hand and lays hold of the Redeemer. We, we stretch forth our hand and lay hold of that sacrifice, which is Jesus. Can you see old Abel stretching forth his hand, saying, here's an innocent lamb, victim, of whatever was offered, the firstling of the flock, and saying, I know that I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this blessing that's coming through this one that's innocent. I know that I deserve the judgment that that comes because of sin. And he lays hold of that lamb and he slays it, offers the fat thereof, he offers the sacrifice. And you and I, when we think of the cross of Calvary, the old rugged cross, we look back And think of what we're really doing. We're really accepting Jesus as our Lamb of sacrifice. We're saying, I don't deserve this, but He's going to do it for me. He's going to die in my place for my sins. And when I accept Him, I'm going to be totally, completely forgiven, pardoned, accepted by God. The Bible says accepted in the Beloved, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. All because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that's where you and I stand today. We have that sacrifice. And having pardoned the character of Abel's sacrifice, having rather pondered the character of Abel's sacrifice, I want us to consider now why it was more excellent than that of Cain. Genesis 4.3 we read that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. We're going to compare that to what Abel brought. He brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. Now, Cain was no infidel. He owned the existence of God. He brought an offering before the Lord. And he was not irreligious. He was a religious person. And he came before him as a worshiper. 
But he refused to conform to the divine appointment, to the word of God and to the specified sacrifice. There's a lot of people that worship God. It's that they will and as they please and as they see fit. And we mentioned earlier, it's all will worship. God, if God has not specified it and it came out of your own mind and thought, it's not of God. It's of yourself. You know, we've got around the world and in the Christian community, if we call it so, people that are worshiping in every form and fashion. Thinking because they do it in a ceremonial way or ritualistic way or a beautiful way or whatever way they may want to choose that God's going to accept it. But God's Word tells us what He will accept and what He will not accept. Amen. Cain brought of the fruit of the ground. We said that he owned God's existence and he came there as a worshiper. But he refused to conform to this divine appointment. And by carefully noting the nature of his offering, we may observe four things. I want you to notice four things about Cain's offering and why Abel's offering was more excellent sacrifice than Cain. First of all, the offering of Cain was a bloodless one. And the Bible says, without shedding of blood is no remission. Didn't make any difference how beautiful his offering or what all he brought. It wouldn't make any difference what he did. Without shedding of blood is no remission. No forgiveness of sins. With the shedding of blood, the Bible says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. That's Colossians 1.14 and Ephesians 1.7. The Bible says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood. He entered in once into that holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He redeemed us with an everlasting and eternal redemption. The Bible says, For as much as you know, you were not redeemed, this is 1 Peter 1.18, with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who by Him to believe in God that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory, that your faith, faith, that your faith and hope might be in God. So this bloodless offering would not do. Secondly, about Cain's offering, we said that there would be four things that we'd show you that how that Abel's offering was more excellent than that of Cain. Secondly, it was merely the fruit of his own toils, the product of his own labors. That simply means that he thought his works was good enough, whatever. If he, if he made an effort, did all he could, and uh, see his works entered into the picture of what he thought God would accept. Our works are not accepted till we accept Christ as our Savior. The Bible tells us that they, they're not, they don't amount to anything, that they are wrought in God once we accept Christ. That their deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. He that doeth truth cometh to the light. John chapter 3, you'll find it, and tells it that, that your deeds are made manifest, that they're wrought in the light. But they're not in the light, they're in darkness until you accept Christ. So it says here, 
the second thing, it was merely the fruit of his toils, the product of his labors. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, man may boast in his works, in his labors. But God says, I don't accept that. I, my salvation is by grace, and it's through faith. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And thirdly, we said there are four things. Third thing, he deliberately ignored the sentence of God in Genesis 3.17, where God says, Cursed is the ground. He brought of the fruit of the ground, the Bible says, that God had cursed. He, he ignored that. Now, God gave us the land to, to feed our bodies and, and meet our needs, but it's a cursed land. And God said that it would not bring forth its, its fullness either. And the Bible says, because of the curse, it would bring forth thorns and thistles. Can you imagine going out into the garden and not a weed there, not a thorn there, not anything that would interfere with that beautiful growth of all the things in the garden? Don't even have to have a hoe. You wouldn't have to have a shovel. You wouldn't have to do anything. Just go out there. It's a garden. Everything grows good. But it was cursed. And Cain ignored this sentence of God. And then the fourth thing, he despised the grace that made it known. Genesis 3.21, Unto Adam, also unto his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. The grace that made known the real offering that he needed to offer, he despised that. So you can see what Cain's offering was. So now let's consider why. That by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead yet speaketh. I'd like to get, I hope I have time to get to that point that, well, maybe I better give it to you now in case I don't get there. His offering still speaks of the blood sacrifice of the Lamb of God which has taken away the sin of the world, of the fact that there's no other way to God except through the sacrifice. God cannot be worshipped apart from sacrifice. It speaks of those things. The fact that He offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, and we have discovered what it is, it speaks to that. And it speaks to us today. And we have it recorded in Hebrews 11.4. By it, He being dead. He's dead long ago. He yet speaketh. And the same message comes forth. It may be preached in various ways, but that bloodline goes all the way through the Bible. It started back there. It was made known by Adam, to Adam and Eve when God provided a covering for them. and Coats of skins were provided for them by the provision of God for their nakedness and for their sinfulness. And then it was also manifested when Abel offered unto God by faith because he knew God would accept it. A more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now then, by divinely given, divinely wrought faith, we're going to talk about Abel now. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And we're going to see the superiority of his worship. First of all, let me give you several things. First, it was offered in obedience to God's revealed will. He knew what God wanted and he was willing to do it. I mean... This lies at the very foundation of all the actions that are acceptable unto God. Nothing can be pleasing to God and pleasing unto Him except that which He has stipulated. We've gone over this time and again already. 
and everything else is will worship. That's Colossians 2, verse 23. Only thing that he stipulated. I've been quoting all along several times, but if you want that reference of will worship, it's Colossians 2, verse 23. The first thing, it was in obedience to God's revealed will. The second thing about Abel's offering, it was offered by faith. And this tells us there was something more than the mere performance of an outward duty. And only that is approved of God which proceeds from a living principle of faith, kindled in the heart by the Holy Spirit. True obedience and faith are never apart. And we read in Romans chapter 1 verse 5, the obedience of faith. What does faith do? Faith obeys. The obedience of faith to all nations. They're inseparable. They're distinguished from one another in thought, but they're inseparable because the obedience of faith go together. How are they distinguished? Faith represents the word of promise. God promised you something. In this case, he promised able forgiveness, pardon, redemption. But God also has the obedience of the word of command. He commands it to be done. The promise of God is in relation to what we do in obedience to God. Now, uh, the promise was that God would forgive and God would pardon through that sacrifice. But the command was that Abel had to offer it. Now, he couldn't expect the promise to come to him of forgiveness unless he obeyed the command. Jesus has provided for our salvation. He promises salvation to what? To all that come to God by Him. To all who receive Him as Savior. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With a heart man believeth unto righteousness. With an out confession is made unto salvation. He promises that, but you have to accept it. The obedience of faith. So you have both those things. For the promise and precepts go hand in hand. We act in obedience when the commandment is uppermost in our minds and in our hearts, which puts us to performing the duties. We act in faith when the promise is looked to and the reward is counted upon. The third thing about it, Abel had a willing mind. Second Corinthians 8.12 says, At first there be a willing mind. God has to make our mind and our will submissive to Him. Before anything really counts. Remember, Paul in that case was talking about their offerings that they were giving the Corinthians. But he says, they first gave themselves unto the Lord and then to us by the will of God. That first there was, must be a willing mind. And in Galatians 5 verse 6, it says, faith that worketh by love. It works by love. And this is seen, as far as Abel is concerned, in the fact that he brought of his best. He brought of the firstling of the flock, which God afterwards took as his portion in, Genesis, in Exodus 13, verse 12, of those that were slain, the sacrifices, the firstling of the flock. And when slain, it was the fat thereof which he presented. And this was presented... Then, by Abel, and later on, God claimed this as his own in Leviticus 3, verse 16. He said, offer the fat thereof. And in Leviticus 7, verse 25. 
And because of this, it was the most precious and valuable things on earth which Abel brought to God. He couldn't have done any better. So what does it mean? Our best is what God requires of us. The best we can give is Christ or accept Him. And the best we can do from ourselves is our heart. He says, Son, give me thine heart. The kind of conversion that God wants in any individual, whether there be one or two or many or few, is a conversion that comes from the heart. It's a heart conversion. It's genuine. Son, give me thine heart. It is with the heart that man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Fourth and finally, his sacrificial offering looked forward to the great sacrifice, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And in all of these four things, Abel excelled Cain. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Cain did not act in obedience, for he disregarded divine appointment. He did not offer in faith. And nothing is said of any excellent fruit. It was though he brought uh, the first which came to hand and what he had in his mind. His offering contained no foreshadowment of Christ, but Abel's did. And Abel's was a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And how did he offer it? Let me clinch it down again and say this. By faith, by faith, he knew that God would accept it. He knew because God had revealed it to Adam and Eve and provided that in Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve had uh, taught their boys and had told them what God did for them. They knew what God would accept and what God would not accept because God stripped them of their uh, apron of fig leaves and clothed them with coats of skins. And they evidently revealed God's will to Cain and Abel. And Cain says, well, if that's what God wants, that's what I will do. I mean, Abel said that. I got it backwards, didn't I? Abel said, if that's what God wants, that's what I will do. But Cain says, no, I'll do what I want to do. And it's up to you. God has provided salvation for us. And the Bible tells us He's provided it through the death of His only begotten Son. And it says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And friend, let me say in closing, that if you're here this morning, God has given you an offering. You don't even have to go and do like Abel did and seek out a firstling of the, of the flock. They're the firstborn, the Son of God, has come down from heaven and He sacrificed Himself on the cross of Calvary in order to pay the full price for your pardon and for your forgiveness, for your redemption. And all you have to do is receive Christ as your Savior. And if there's one here that has not, we invite you to come as we sing our invitation hymn. We want stand together. And if you need a church home or whatever God is dealing with you about, we're going to ask that God will be with you now and show you what you need.